Have any of you heard of a woman called Marjorie Carter? Does that name ring a bell for anyone? Marjorie Carter. Now, I hadn't, I hadn't uh, heard of her either until recently, but she's clearly a very impressive woman. She's currently host of a show on public radio called Promised Land. She's on the Sundance Channel uh, hosting a show called Eco Heroes. And she's been named one of the 25 most influential African-Americans in the country by Essence Magazine. She's been named a Genius Fellow by the MacArthur Foundation. Got one of those uh, incredible fellowships. And what generated all this and her consultancies and so on was she founded and ran for a number of years uh, an organization called South uh, Bronx or Sustainable Bronx in the South Bronx. And it's an organization that takes an approach to justice that integrates human, ecological, environmental, uh, and cultural sustainability in addressing policy issues that affect one of the poorest congressional districts in the country. It's not actually, and incidentally, unlike the transition town movement originally out of England, but now international and growing in this country. And it might be helpful to us as we think about the future of uh, what this block can be and how we can serve in the midst of this growing metropolis. But my interest in Marjorie Carter came from a talk she gave to a major conference called the Trinity Institute last January. And she said in the middle of her talk, she said this, she said, as far as I'm concerned, people need three things to be whole. Someone to love, something to do, and something to look forward to. And if any one of these things is missing, then the other two suffer. And in communities like mine, she says, at least two out of the three are hard to come by. It's pretty good, someone to love, something to do, some, and hope for the future. It's what we want for these children that we are baptizing today. It's what we want for ourselves. And it's what we offer, actually. It's what we offer. It's in a life of faith. We offer love and mission and, and purpose in life. And it's through the spiritual practices of specific, incarnate communities of faith, not general ideas of Christian community, but specific communities who gather, where showing up matters, saying your prayers, practicing generosity, doing all the things, uh, doing all the things that we do together. We're offering through that to one another and to these newly, soon to be newly baptized. We're offering... Uh, the chance to develop an internal compass to determine a true direction in life. It was one of the Greek philosophers, and maybe some of you remember which one. I can't remember which one. One of them said, a sailor without a destination cannot tell an ill wind from a fair one. And we're offering a sense of direction. For many of us, these three things, someone to love, something to do, hope for the future, is a pretty good summary of salvation. And if we had all those things, we might think we'd been saved, might we not? The children, like most of us, at one point or another in their lives, perhaps, perhaps you're in it now, will find themselves in a time of wilderness. It comes to all of us, a time when we're in the desert. And sometimes that wilderness time is a time of great loneliness and despair and terror, perhaps. And at other times, that time of wilderness is a time of challenge, where we're proven, and where we emerge stronger. 
But whatever it is, and it comes to all of us sooner or later, uh, we sooner or later have to ask the question of direction. Where, where am I heading? Where can I go? What's the path before me? Because this wandering around business isn't working. Where is the promised land? What will be the, the end of this soul-sick sense of being in exile, of being somehow separate, somehow lost? What will be the end of that? And, and what, what the end will be is the promised land of real love and real meaning and real purpose in life. Now, at one point or another, these children, like the rest of us, will find ourselves looking for that sense of direction. I, uh, some of you know, many of you don't, that I have from time to time indulged myself in amateur prestigitation or uh, conjuring or magician or doing tricks. And one of the things I realize is that for magicians, a key skill is misdirection. So that I get you to look over here while I'm doing something really important over here. You see? And, and we all get misdirected a lot in life for one purpose or another. Someone wants us to think in a particular way that isn't going to do us any good, that isn't going to allow us to discover a true direction. We're told over and over, magicians in many theaters of our lives, including our own imaginations, are always offering illusions, beautiful tricks, the promise that we can have it easy, that we can consume without consequence, that we can find value in material well-being and so forth. And part of this salvation, part of the salvation that we all yearn for and celebrate is that gift of sight by which we begin to see things as they are and help each other see ourselves and the world as God sees us, creatures of infinite potential made by love for love. And so in the midst of that, begin to get a true north, a real uh, and a trustworthy compass. And we can see things one way for much of our lives. In fact, cultures can see things in a particular way and it just goes on and on and we go on seeing in a particular way and then someone says, no, 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 that's not right. You've got to see differently. And it's really hard. It took at least a couple of hundred years before the majority of educated people were able to accept, all of them, that the, that the earth revolves around the sun and not the other way around. It was really hard to come to terms with the illusion that we were the center of the universe. Same thing can be said about uh, evolution, a debate we're still in the middle of. It's really hard coming to terms with the fact that we aren't somehow specially privileged in God's creation, that we are somehow in, in a course of the whole uh, work of the planet groaning in travail, trying to become what it's created to be. And, and this happens too with doctrine. For years and years and years, we've all been told uh, if we've listened at all uh, to, to, to the Gospels like this morning and said, told that it's about some doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, we sing. We're not singing it today, and you'll find out why in a moment. It's a great tune. We need some new words. And the reason we new, need new words is because this Gospel is not about Jesus returning through the clouds, sort of feet first, like he disappeared after the ascension. And it's not saying, look up so you can see him coming down. It's actually, we've got the direction wrong. And scholars now have some, uh, some growing consensus that what's going on is actually something quite different than what we've assumed. 
And what's going on is part of this apocalyptic literature. Jesus knew about it. It's a literary convention. The prophets did it. Jesus did it, and they used it to talk about things that were really important. And Jesus was using a very key person called the Son of Man. And the Son of Man, uh, this may be more than you want to know, but you need to know it because the Scripture is not immediately accessible to us without knowing these things. The Son of Man is a character from the book of Daniel, particularly Daniel chapter 7. And when the Son of Man starts doing, what the Son of Man is doing is ushering in God's action. The age when, when the enemies of God will be revealed as such, and the true people of God will be revealed as such, and the exile will be over, and the true people of God will be being brought home. And the sign of that will be the Son of Man's being vindicated when he comes with the clouds. And that word in Daniel is, doesn't necessarily mean coming towards or even going away necessarily. It, means, it, it can mean either. It means, it means movement toward vindication. And so in today's gospel, read it differently. It starts being about the heavens. And there are consequences on the earth. The earths are rumbling when the, when the magnificent act, the mighty act of God that will mark the end of our exile and the beginning of our reasonable and holy hope is, being, is, is happening. And they're saying, look at the Son of Man coming through the clouds into the heavenly host. Look up so you can see it and know that he is being vindicated and the time of salvation is at hand. And the promise that you have sought and hoped for and looked for and the direction that you're after is yours and available even now. It's why we read this, 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 this stuff at the beginning of the Christian year. Advent Sunday, today the first Sunday of the year, a time of newness and renewal and a wonderful time to bring people into this uh, goodly fellowship of faith that we enjoy here uh, with, the, with the promise that we can have someone to love and something meaningful to do and a reasonable and holy hope for the future because they're available even now, even when you don't fully feel it, even when we don't fully experience it or even believe it. What happens as we allow ourselves to be shaped by what really matters that's what the fig tree business is about. Don't get caught up in drunkenness and licentiousness. Keep focused on what really matters and allow that to shape your life. And as we do that, sooner or later, and from time to time, the desires of our heart and the desires of God for us are going to be in alignment. And we are going to know that the kingdom of God is not far from us. The kingdom of God, the reign of God, the right relationship with God is very, very near. And we can know love and we can know purposeful life and we can know reasonable and holy hope that's the promise of advent prophecy and it's why we might well say to one another happy new year